I think a lot of you know this about me already, but I want to talk briefly about something. I love the movies. I love going to the movies. One of my favorite things to do in life is to go to the movie theater, get some popcorn, and sit and eat and watch a movie. And I can watch pretty much anything and have a really good time. I like movies of all sorts. I like westerns. I like war movies. I like romantic comedies. I like animation. I've seen a lot of those kind of movies in the past several years, obviously. But of all the movies that are out there, my favorite sort of movie falls generally into the category that we will call fantasy. Fantasy. And the more fantastical, the more outside the realm of reality, the more special effects, the more movie magic, the better. I like movies set a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> I like movies about superheroes that come from other planets who can leap tall buildings in a single bound. I like movies about aliens who come down from outer space and help and rescue children who need best friends. I like movies about elves and hobbits and wizards and orcs and having to destroy a evil ring. If you don't know what I'm talking about, if you don't know what I'm talking about, I, I don't know what to tell you right now. But I think you get the idea. I like to be dazzled. I like to have the bounds of my imagination stretch. Some people might say, well, I, Pastor Bounty, I like movies that are gritty and realistic. For me, I have plenty of grit and realism in my everyday life. I like something otherworldly. I like an escape from grit and realism, even if it's just for two hours. Fantasy. And I'm reminded of this this week because this week, of course, the Sunday of the Transfiguration. Everyone knows what the Transfiguration is by this point, right? If you don't know what the Transfiguration is, there's a picture of it on the front of your worship folder cover for today. Keep in mind, this is not an actual photo. This is an artist's conception of what the transfiguration was. Because, as you heard, only three non-Jesus humans were actually there that day. And so you read about this, and before we get too deep into this comparison between fantasy movies and the transfiguration, folks, we need to make a distinction here, right? Movies, fiction. Fantasy movies, fantasy. This, the gospel, really happened. Brothers and sisters, friends in Christ, fellow Christians, Jesus was, is, and will be. The transfiguration really happened. This is history, so keep that in mind as we talk. But that being said, this sounds a lot like a fantasy, doesn't it? It sounds amazing. It sounds dazzling. It sounds like something they would really work hard on in the special effects department, if you understand what I'm trying to say. An otherworldly kind of experience an experience most of us cannot imagine, cannot conceive of. You know what I think would be a lot of fun if I said to you, take out a piece of paper, you don't really have to do this, take out a piece of paper and draw the transfiguration for me. It would be tough, wouldn't it? I couldn't capture it. You couldn't capture it. We couldn't capture it. Because it was that amazing. And you heard the story, most of you know the story, 
the transfiguration happened in the closing stages of Jesus' time on this earth. It was a matter of weeks before he'd be hanging on a cross to atone for the sins of the world. But before he did that, before that happened, he took with him three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, and the three of them, the Bible tells us, they hiked to the top of a very high mountain. Get a little exercise in before you do this, right? And so they went to the top of this high mountain, and when they got up there, Jesus showed them who he was. And I mean who he really was. He showed them the glory of God. He showed them the glorious face of God himself. And the glorious face of God himself, it just happened to be his face. But it was his face how they had never seen it before. The Bible tells us his face shone like the sun. What do you think that means? I don't know what that means. Have you ever tried to look up at the sun, though? Not like, I mean, like, stare into the sun. You shouldn't actually do this, folks. Remember, remember back in the fall when, they, when the, the eclipse was happening and you had to make the special eclipse glasses where you could make something out of a box that was way beyond my technological capabilities? You cut a box up? What are you, but you, you're not supposed to look. It, yeah. Jesus was dazzling. Human beings could not behold how dazzling he was. And it wasn't just his face, it was also his clothes. The Bible tells us his clothes became dazzling white. And only Mark's gospel adds this detail. Whiter than any bleach on this earth could make them. And no, this is not a Tide commercial. This is reality. But the party was just getting started. Because then, all of a sudden, two other people show up on the scene. What were their names? Moses and Elijah. I talked about Moses, you may remember, a couple of weeks ago. And Moses was active 1,400 years prior to the transfiguration. He led God's people out of exile, out of the bondage of slavery in Egypt. He led them to the promised land. And oh, by the way, along the way, on that journey to the promised land, he also picked up something called the Ten Commandments. God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. God gave all of us the Ten Commandments through Moses. Moses is remembered by the people of God as the lawgiver, right? Elijah was also there. I, Elijah was active about 850-ish years before the transfiguration. He was a prophet. A prophet is one who comes and proclaims the word of God to the people. And Elijah did just that. He proclaimed the word of God to God's people. He proclaimed the word of God to kings and princes. Elijah is remembered as the greatest of all the Old Testament prophets. Isn't that awesome? And the fact that they were there that day, how awesome is that? And it's packed with so much meaning, with so much symbolism, with so much potential metaphor, right? Oh, this is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. This is about, you know, completion. And Jesus is the second Moses. And Jesus is the completion of the law. It means all these things. You can talk about all these things. But there's one factoid I get hung up on every time I read this. About those two guys being there. Those two guys were dead. Their journey on this earth had ended centuries prior to this. But all of a sudden, there they were. And so I ask you, what does this mean? What was going on in that mountain? What were Peter and James and John, what were they seeing? What were they experiencing? I'll give you a hint. 
It's on the sign outside. Lutheran. No! <laughs> Resurrection. They saw the glory of God. They saw Jesus as he would be when he was resurrected. They saw the dead rising again. They heard the voice of God himself. They had heaven up on top of that mountain. That's what it was. Make no mistake. It was nothing short of heaven on top of that mountain. And that's why Peter said, man, it's good to be here. Peter wanted to stay. Because it was beyond all description. It was amazing. It stretched the bounds of his imagination, of their imagination. It was dazzling. It was wonderful. It was glorious. It was ever. It was a flood of emotions. Once you taste heaven, I guess, you never want it to stop. You never want it to leave. And that's what they got that day. The transfiguration. Some story, right? Pretty amazing to think about. And every single year I get to think about it. Every single year we get to talk about it. We get to celebrate it here in the church as the people of God. The Sunday before Ash Wednesday, always the Sunday of the transfiguration. And every single year, essentially, I say the same thing to you. I say essentially what I just said. But today I want to say something else. I want to ask you a question. The transfiguration. So what? So what? Let's consider this in the broadest of terms. Let's consider this in the biggest of pictures that we can. A long time ago, in a land far, far away, three people. Out of the billions and billions of people who've ever walked on this earth, three people got to see a transfiguration, got to experience that moment in history. What about, what about the rest of us? What, what about us? What are we supposed to do with this? How are we supposed to respond? I mean, do we pat ourselves on the back? Do we pat each other on the back because, oh, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe? That's us. Am I supposed to feel jealous? I do a little bit. I do a lot. Every time I read these miraculous stories in the gospel, I would like to see that. I wish I'd been there. I wish I'd experienced what they experienced on that mountaintop. Heaven. A fantasy beyond all expectation. Something we cannot imagine. Something no movie studio can recreate. Something no artist can draw. What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, the glory that God has for his people. So they get heaven, and what do I get? What do we get? We get grit and realism. They get heaven, and we get cold and flu season. They get resurrection, we get the ongoing challenges of life in this world. We get sickness, we get pain. We get worse than that. We get hospitals. We get death. We get stress and anxiety. 
We get bills that never seem to go away. We get problems that never feel like they'll ever be fixed. We get sin. We get to live with the mistakes that we've made. We get to try and come to terms with situations that feel and seem irreparable. We get to say goodbye to people we care about, to people we love. We get to try and deal with the challenging people in our lives. That's what this world is. Paint it any way you want. This world is defined by sin. What does a transfiguration have to do with us? Where do we fit into this story? And I struggled with that a lot this week, but then as I read this gospel lesson, I think for the 14th time or so, something jumped out at me and I've missed it. A minor detail I've read so many times over the years. And I read it to you again today. Verse 2. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. Jesus led them up a high mountain by themselves. Maybe we've skipped over that part of the story. Because we want to put ourselves on top of that mountain. When in truth, we're still making the climb. That's where we are. That's our part, maybe, in the story. We are climbing a mountain. And the Bible tells us it's a very high mountain. Anybody climb Mount Everest before? Pretty specialized group of people do that, I suppose. But I think this, term, this idea of climbing high mountains is very analogous to life as we know it. Life is a lot like climbing a mountain. It's challenging. It's difficult. Sometimes maybe you say to yourself, why am I, why am I doing this? Sometimes maybe you say to yourself, I don't think I'm going to make it. Sometimes you might say to yourself, I don't feel as though I can go on. Sometimes you feel as though you're running out of breath, figuratively and literally. Peter, James, and John, they climbed up that mountain. But Jesus went with them. And brothers and sisters, friends in Christ, as you climb the mountain that is life in this world, you do not go alone. Who goes with you? Jesus. Jesus. And Jesus says to you, I know it's hard. I've been here. I went through suffering and death. I went through sickness. I lost friends. I lost a father. I lost a family. I know what it's like. And I know what you need. And Jesus says, I give you what you need. What you most need. I give you what's most precious. I give you myself. Jesus, who through baptism unites us to his life, his death, his resurrection. Jesus, who through baptism gives us his presence, the gift of the Holy Spirit. God lives in you. 
We forget that. We lose sight of that. We overlook that all the time. This wonderful, amazing truth that God lives in me. God lives in you. That's the miracle of faith. And that God is constantly whispering in your ear what you most need to hear. I love you. I love you. The world can say what it wants. You can feel how you want, but it doesn't change the greatest of realities. I love you, Jesus says, anyway. I died on a cross to set you free. And I rose again to give you forever. As you make your way up that hill, be forgiven. When you fall, hear the voice of Jesus saying to you, get up. Get up. I forgive you. I give you the strength to go on. I give you the love that you most need. I give you food and drink for along the way. I give you a death and a resurrection. I give you everything that I have. It's yours. And I go with you. And we can do this together, Jesus says. And the journey is not the end. There is a top to this mountain. And the top is beyond your wildest fantasy. You will see the glory of God. You will see the dead rising again. You will see the face of Jesus himself. And brothers and sisters, friends in Christ, you will live forever. Whatever happens to us in this life, we have a future. We have a destiny. Beyond our wildest hopes and expectations, the glory of God will be ours. In Jesus' name, for Jesus' sake. Amen. I invite you